0: Would you grab your Bibles and turn to one of the most well-known books of the Bible called Judges. It's in the Old Testament. It's the seventh book of the Old Testament. It's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, and then what? Judges. We're in chapter three of Judges. Uh, we have five verses to cover. Bam. Bam. Hey, Harvest, it's Palm Sunday. It's Palm Sunday. Um, It's the time of the triumphal entry. It's that time when uh, we remember the day that deity entered Jerusalem on a donkey. It is uh, also the day that people declared Hosanna in the highest. And then less than a week later... um, some of the people from Jerusalem are declaring, crucify him, crucify him. How does that happen? I mean, really, how does that happen? How does that come, apart, come to that place? I mean, how can a God-raised, God-called, we are declaring people, get that broken up, that disunified, that on different places, how can that happen? Uh, I might even say I actually think the bigger question in the whole thing is why did the deity that was on the donkey in light of all of that still go to the cross for them? Um, Well, keep that tucked in the back of your mind. Um, let's get a running start. Let's kind of have an on-ramp into our five verses for today. So what I'd actually like to do is, is go to Judges chapter 2. Um, I trust you have a Bible open your hands. It's a big deal around here. We don't just talk about the Bible. We're in it, right? And so let's kind of take an on-ramp here. Some of the... Uh, Paragraphs from uh, last Sunday, just to get our bearings as we're getting more and more settled into this series. Uh, chapter 2, verse 16, then the Lord raised up judges. Judges, by the way, don't think of like the guy sitting behind the court thing. Think of the, the leader. The Lord raised up leaders who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Uh, yet they, Israel, did not listen to their leaders, for they hoard after other gods, And bowed down to them. Wow. They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of that judge, that leader. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. Verse 19, but whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or stubborn ways. Very important verse, I think, for later on here today. They did not drop any of their practices or stubborn ways. Doesn't sound like a repentant people to me. Verse 20, so the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he said, because this people have transgressed my covenant that I commanded their fathers and have not obeyed my voice, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations that Joshua left when he died in order to test Israel by them, whether they will take care to walk in the way of the Lord as their fathers did or not. So the Lord left those nations, not driving them out quickly, And he did not give them into the hand of Joshua. Okay, let's just pause there for a moment. I think we can remind it here, if you're new with us and we're just in this series getting started a few weeks in, um, God's people are holistically in what I might call a bad relationship place with the Lord. Um, Agreed? We definitely do not get a sense that all is going well. We get the opposite and in fact, we kind of, the terminology that comes out is like this is a place of continued unrepentant whoring after what the world offers. Um, they sold themselves out to the small g gods of their time. The Lord, in his pity and his grace for his people, raised up leaders, raised up uh, judges. Uh, he is with those leaders. How cool is that to save his prostituting people? out from the plunder therein, and I just go, who would do that? Why would he do that? Answer, because he is, because of who he is. So then the leaders, the judges die against God's people, are holistically, by the way, selling themselves out after other gods again, and even more so. And after uh, all of this holistic whoring, all of this we see in the text, it kindles the Lord's anger Lord is not quick to anger, but he's been kindling, 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 and, and now it's time. And so the Lord tests them, and he tests them by not driving the nations out. Let's pick up next six verses. Uh, chapter three, now these are the nations that the Lord left to test Israel by them. That is, all in Israel who had not experienced all the wars in Canaan. It was only in order that the generation of the Piz- people of Israel might know war. That's interesting. To teach war to those who had not known it before. I'm going to come back to that. Last week I bypassed it on purpose. Verse 3, these are the nations, the five lords of the Philistines, and it lists them there. Verse 4, they were for the testing of Israel to know whether Israel would obey the commandments of the Lord, which he commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. So the people of Israel lived among the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites the Jebusites. And their daughters, they took them for wives, and their daughters they gave to their sons. And They served their gods. Note in verse 1, chapter 3, uh, uh, to test Israel. Also verse 4, for the testing of Israel. What's a test? Tests are things we don't like. Uh, I'm not an academic by nature. I'm not a very good test taker by nature. I never liked tests. Amen? Amen. (laughs) Amen. What's a test? A test, by definition, it is a procedure or a process intended to measure aptitude, skill, knowledge, condition, and our capacities. And there are various kinds of tests. There's written tests. There are skill tests. There's life tests. Question, who is giving this test? Uh, the Lord is. The Lord is. To whom is the test being given? It's being given to his people. Uh, during the times of uh, the judges, what kind of test is given? Is it a written test? Is it an online test? Do they do it through their iPhones? Do they, how do they, no, this is a life test. And this is not a short test. This is like a life test, a reality of things going on. Why the test? Uh, for what purpose was the test given? Well, we're told in the text that the Lord left the Canaanites in the promised land area. Why? As an intended procedure to measure the aptitude, skill, knowledge, condition, and or capacity of his people during this time. He's testing them on purpose. Uh, He's measuring. He's measuring one, verse four, to know if Israel would obey the commandments of the Lord. He told them to drive them out, are they? Uh, and he's just like, uh, you know, I, I want to test you in this. And, and number two, he's measuring them to train them, by the way. Verse 2, uh, chapter 3. That generation of Israel might know war to teach war to those who had not known it before. Uh, what's going on here? Why this test? Warren Wiersbe says of this uh, comment here, he's saying that uh, God is using the enemy to train his people. God is using the enemy to train his people. Uh, With that statement, I want to post up a, a, a statement here, and it's this. God's people must know war because God's people live in a war. God's people must know war because God's people live in a war. Oh, and by the way, that's not just then. That's now. If you want some verses on that, you can look up. Here's a few. You can write down Romans 7.23, 2 Corinthians 10.3, Hebrews 11.34, 1 Peter 2.11. Oh, yeah. And from a Revelation series, Revelation chapter 12. Or you might just go Revelation chapter 6 through 19. Friends. If God's people do not understand that we live in a spiritual war, we're in trouble. If we do not understand that we live in a spiritual war, we will not live like we live in a spiritual war. Ever-present danger keeps us alert and on mission. Ever-present danger keeps us alert and on mission. When is it that we get off mission? Answer, when we get off alert. When is it that we get off mission? Answer, when we forget we're in a war. Okay, chapters 1 and 2, consider it the tourist stop of the book of Judges. It's kind of like telling what's ahead, all right? We, we just read an on-ramp, so we're, we, we did that. We, we have an on-ramp in, and, and we are now officially entering the highway of the book of Judges. Okay, we're there. Ready? Okay, good. Uh, here's the deal. Look out both sides of the windows. Look out the sides of the windows, and in the book of Judges, what do you see going on? You look out the sides of the windows and you see that essentially God's people are kicking it back or partying it up. Okay, I I don't have anything against kicking it back and I don't have anything against having a great time. But listen, we see in the book of Judges this reality of they're kicking it back, they're partying it up. Now look straight ahead out the front. And something's right there. And when you look to the side and look to the front, is it not true? You go, something's not right with this picture. True? Something's not right with this picture that's going on. Because like something is hitting us, about to hit us, and uh, living like that, something's not all together. We might call it the Titanic scenario. Okay, with all that set up, here we go, our five verses. All right, number one, the Lord's people. The Lord's people. Look at verse 7, chapter 3. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot their God and served the Baal's And the Asheroth. So, what are God's people doing here? The answer, the word here is evil. Evil. By the way, it's not terminology that God's people are struggling through the daily grind and war of, of, hey, listen, we're all sinners. Okay, Uh, trust sinners saved by grace, but this isn't referring to this idea of the reality of progressive sanctification, of this idea that we're moving and we're all growing and changing, no one's arrived, we're pressing toward it, but this is not talking about that. This is talking about God's people have become a sold-out prodigal people. They have sold themselves out, they have prostituted themselves into, they've whored themselves out, as the text says, full, sold out, walked away, bought into, unevil and unrepentant about it. That's what's happening here, and you need to understand that as we move. That's the condition of what's going on. By the way, notice, it's, they're doing evil, uh, evil according to who? Evil according to the sight of the Lord. That's a big deal, by the way, because we just, by nature, are people who want to define what is wrong and what is right, don't we? Um, No, that's right. No, that's wrong. Defined by who? Defined by what? And I love it here when it says, they're doing evil in the sight of the Lord. Listen, he's the measuring rod. We don't justify it. We don't set it. He does. No, but I want to. I got you, but you can't. Because once we start doing that, let's just shove the Lord off the seat and sit our keister on it. And that's what's happening when we do that. And, and, And no, this is not what it is. He is on the seat. The Lord defines what is evil. The Lord defines what is sin. And we submit to that. How did the people get to this place? how did God's people get to this place? I mean, they are holistically at a place where it's like they're not aware. It's like, who cares? It's all okay. Sin It doesn't matter. And they've somehow in their mind gotten to the place where somehow it's, it's all okay. What happened? Uh, this is what's so cool about God's word and answers. Look at verse seven. Two things. Number one, They forgot their God. They forgot the Lord their God. They forgot. I'm not a Hebrew language guy, but I'm just, only reason I'm putting it out is maybe you might remember it better here, but forgot, it's shakach. Shakach. That's what they did? Well, that's kind of like, well, what does that mean? That's why I say it that way. Because I want you to ask, what does that mean? It means this. It means to disregard. It means to not take into account. It's this. They knew of Yahweh. It's not that they're like, Yahweh? What? They weren't doing that. No, no, no. These people knew of Yahweh, but they disregarded him. It's like, whatever, Lord. It's like, I know you want, but I want. It's like, I know you made me to be, but I want to be. And again, this is not the the daily reality that we all know about. This is describing they sold out. They were just like in it full out. They they knew Yahweh, but they did not take him into account. And for God's people, here in chapter 3 at this time, life and the Lord became two separate realities. Life and the Lord became two separate things that did not come together. And so they disregarded the Lord. They forgot, notice, their God. Not a God, their God. And what happened is, is they are no different than the pagan Canaanites around them. God's people don't look different, act different, think different, desire different, press different, walk different. They didn't date different. They didn't marry different. They didn't parent different. They didn't do career different. They were just like and in it all while having this we are religious dance in their head. All in it, it's like, oh, it's okay. They forgot the Lord, their God. They disregarded him, and they did not take him into account. They did not bring him into their lives. They kept him out on the porch. Secondly... The text says they served other gods. By the way, this is not referring to like they went down to some ecumenical church down the street for friendship evangelism. It's not what it's talking about here. It means that God's people prostituted themselves out. They sold themselves They sold themselves out to the point to where they were active worshipers and serving members at the church of Baal and the first assembly of Asheroth. We're gonna be talking more about what all that was involved with as we move in the series, but I'm not going there today. I wanna stay on this as condensed as the passage is. I wanna stay condensed on what it says. Yahweh's people sold themselves out and they served fake, lifeless Non-eternal, non-real gods, and they justified it in their heads. Is all okay. And when you read a passage like this, I, I trust that that God's word is penetrating our own hearts in this. And um in all of this, it's just like. After all of the raising and the redeeming work that the Lord had done for his people holistically, they holistically hoarded themselves out, forgetting him and going after other gods. And that's the status of the Lord's people. Can we all agree that's really really sad? Agreed. Agreed. Oh Lord, help us. Well, we have two key descriptors of God's people in those times, and now let's take uh, three key notes of the Lord Himself. Uh, Verse eight and nine. Therefore, therefore what. Therefore, uh, because the people of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. By, by the way, again, understand, I just need to make sure this is understood. This has been years and years and years and years of God's people doing this, okay? This wasn't like they had a bad week or a bad month. This is a sold out thing, they were full in. And they forgot their God, and they worshiped the Baals and the Asheroth. Therefore, after all of that, after the Lord's patience, after the Lord's waiting and hanging in there with them, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And he sold them into the hand of Kushan Rishathayim. I'm trying my best. Let's do this. Let's call him CR. Can we do that? <laughs> Give me the grace. And he handed them into the hand of CR, the king of Mesopotamia. Big deal. No, big deal. By the way, the name here, it's likely an actual nickname. And I say that because it's probably most likely, this is still not fully understood, but most likely what's really referring to here is this is a Kushan double wicked. Now, what parent would name their kid that? Hell, look at my little Kushan double wicked. (laughs) There are days, (laughs) there are days, (laughs) but not on the whole... Uh, By the way, Kushan was probably the farthest, and I'm not going to go to the map today, but probably one of the farthest uh, movements of an army coming into God's people during this period of time, and he was a really, really strong king. We start out with one of the furthest movements down to the southern part of Judah, uh, likely here, uh, the farthest movements, the strongest kings during this time, and God sold him out to that, him. CR got him. God sold them out. Why would God sell them out? That doesn't sound very fair. We'll get there. And the people of Israel served CR for how many years? Eight Eight years. Eight years. You know, know, eight years is long and yet it's short. Uh, How old is this church now? Oh, that's right. Eight years. We're eight years. Sometimes it seems like it's always been this. Doesn't it care? Uh, Other times it's like, wow, where'd that go? Um, But eight years, it's not 80 years, it's not eight days, it's not eight months, it's not 80 years, it's eight years. Uh, But when the people of Israel cried out, we'll come back to that, to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the people of Israel who saved them. Uh, Three things about the Lord. Number one, the Lord was kindled to anger. I'm reading out of the English Standard Version, a lot of good versions. I'm not hacking these, I'm just making a comment about this. King James Version says was hot against, New International Version says burned against. There's kind of a tendency there to not understand that in the terminology there was a building towards. It can kind of, you could read it sometimes and walk away and think, wow, the Lord's hot to anger. No, 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 this has been, therefore, as a result of all of this been going on, and honestly, as a result of God's long-suffering patience with His people that have been holistically whoring themselves out to other gods, sacrificing their children to these gods. Then, after all this patience, then the Lord, uh, then His anger comes out. His holiness and righteousness can only be kindled with evil for so long. The Lord was kindled to anger. Second, the Lord sold them into. (laughs) Why would the Lord do this? They had already sold themselves out. Hey, you want that? And you've obviously shown that you've wanted that now for years and years. Okay, you got what you want. You want to live by that? You want to live under that? You want to have that? Got it. You got it. Verse 8. The Lord sold them into the hand of C.R. Bad, big, powerful king. Double wicked. Verse 8. So people of Israel served him for eight years. Verse 9, then the people of Israel zocked out to the Lord. Cody and Nate maybe got a better grasp on that, but I'm just going with zocked. I think I got that right. They cried out. That sounds encouraging. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 7, please. It's in the New Testament, way to the right. 2 Corinthians, it's after 1 Corinthians. We try and do things simple around here. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Uh, Paul is writing to Corinth. Uh, Corinth was a city uh, and there was a church in Corinth. And uh, Corinth is kind of known as being a kind of a messed up church. Having some issues. Um, Paul writes, verse 8, chapter 7. 2 Corinthians, for even if I made you grieve with my letter, I I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that that letter grieved you, though only for a while. Verse 9, as it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. By the way, we had talked before uh, uh, multiple times in the past, the Lord loves repenting. The Lord loves it when people repent. We're so like, oh, can't do that. Too much pride. The Lord loves it when we repent. And he says here uh, then, uh, for you felt a, interesting, underline it, a godly grief. So that you suffered no loss through us. Verse 10 For godly grief produces a repentance. It produces something. It produces a repentance. What kind of repentance? A repentance that leads to salvation without regret. By the way, he's writing here to believers. Not only does repentance initially, this we'll be talking about next Sunday, not only is repentance initially required to enter into relationship with the Lord uh, for salvation, but repentance is an ongoing reality of God's saving work in my life. It's not losing salvation, getting it back. It's none of that. It's this idea that it's just, it's like salvation experienced again, not in fullness, but in reality. It's just again and again, and that's why the Lord loves it. Uh, godly repentance, uh, godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Now, underline the next one. Whereas worldly grief, by the way, he's writing to believers here. Worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness godly grief does in clearing yourselves. By the way, it's not like, hey, I want to make sure everybody knows that I was right in it all. No, no, no. No, no. It's like, listen, I caused damage by my sin and I want to make it right. And I want to show that my repentance is real. I want to take steps and action toward turning. An eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. Again, it's, this isn't the I was innocent and no sin. This is the post-sin. I want to prove them my repentance. Now, Now I take this back to Judges chapter 2 and what's going on here. I think there's three reasons why I do not think that God's people are crying out in true repentance here. Number one is because of 2 Corinthians chapter 7, what we just read. I think what we see here is worldly grief. It's, I got caught. It's been eight years now in this hassle. It's like, come on God, don't, don't you see what's going on? I don't like this. There may be a little bit of uh, religiousness in it, but on the whole it's because I don't like my situation and after all, you're supposed to make everything Wonderful. I mean, I want my greatest life now. Without regret, earnestness, longing, zeal. I just think of Matthew 7 where it's, we take our sin big, we own it, we don't blame it. It's about my sin, not your sin. We just don't see this through Judges. I really don't think Judges is a cycle of repenting people. I think it's more this idea of this idea, a cycle of worldly grieving people. I add that, just Judges chapter 2 verse 19, where it sums up kind of what's going on, that they turned back, that they were more corrupt. They did not change their practices or stubborn ways. where's, Where's the fruit of repentance in that? There isn't any. They just kept getting deeper and deeper. And then third, I add this word to za'ach. The word does denote a crying out for help in deep distress from an unbearable circumstance. But grammatically, whenever za'ach is telling of godly confession and repentance, it grammatically includes an additional clause or second verb. Okay? I just... It It, it, it matters. In other words, when the word is used like it's used grammatically here, all other instances in Scripture, as far as I have been able to see, all other instances used like here is referring to worldly grief, not godly grief. The grammar is structured to accent the word to show when it's godly grief. And I don't think we're seeing it here. They're shedding tears over their distress situation, but they're not going face down in repentance. It's like, crud, God. Make my life better. By the way, the Lord sold them out because he loves them. The Lord sold them out because he loves them. The reality is, is that You get it. You get it. A loving parent at times steps in and says, I can't let this go on any longer. You need to understand the consequences. So he sells them, he sells them out to draw them back, he sells them for the restoration. Not for their pain. The Lord loves redeeming his people. Oh, in verse 9, the Lord raised up a deliverer. This is why the Lord allowed them to go, but look, he raises up a deliverer in verse 9. I just noted here that I understand the text here not to be talking about God's people are in true godly repentance here. And I think that they are giving out a whining worldly grief here. And yet even in spite of his people who have been doing evil in his sight, by the way, gross beyond what we can imagine evil, in his own sight for years now, And yet the Lord is still going to deliver them. And they're not even really repenting. And yet the Lord is still going to deliver them. They were not faithful to their covenant, but the Lord is going to be faithful to his. And you can always know that. The Lord is faithful. So what did the Lord's uh, faithful, uh, his faithfulness look like with a deliverer? Verse 9 through 11, Othniel, the son of Canaz, Caleb's younger brother, that's who he raised up. Verse 10, the spirit of the Lord was upon him, and he judged Israel. He went out to war, and the Lord gave CR, king of Mesopotamia, double wicked dude, into his hand, who's bigger, God is. And his hand prevailed over CR. so the land had rest for how many years? That's a lot of years. Uh, then Othniel, the son of Kenaz, died. <laughs> I love that. I'm coming right back to that. There's a host of things here we could talk about, but I'm keeping it condensed because the text is condensed. There's so many things we could hit on here. We could talk about Othniel and his bloodline. We could talk about his marriage with uh, Aksa. We could uh, talk about what it said in chapter one. We could talk about the specific warring with the double wicked king of Mesopotamia. We could talk about what the 40 years of rest on the land looked like. But um, Othniel is not the thing here. The Lord is. The Lord is the thing here in the text. So I want to keep it there. This is about the Lord's deliverer. Number one, the Lord was upon him. Verse 10, the spirit of the Lord was upon Othniel. I mean, consider that. The third person of the Trinity is on him. He's upon him, he's in him, he's behind him, he's in front of him, he's all over Othniel. Othniel didn't make Othniel something. God made Othniel something. Othniel didn't win it because he was the best uh, Sunday school kid in the Sunday school class. Othniel didn't win the position because he uh, graduated from Yale, Harvard, wherever, with the best degrees. Othniel was who Othniel was because the Lord was upon him, period, end of story. And that gives all of us great encouragement. And the Spirit of the Lord was upon Othniel, and from that place... He led Israel and went to war. The Lord was upon him. Secondly, the Lord gave to him. Uh, the uh, Othniel goes out to war. He did that. He did that. Uh, but the Lord was upon him to do that. But he did that. Yet the Lord gives the king of Mesopotamia into his hands. The Lord did it. You see that? He wasn't stud man, and he went out and superpowered his way into taking over. Who brought the bad dude, double wicked king into their hands, into his hand? The Lord did. But I also got a note in the text, this, this is so cool, you guys. You see in the text, it says, Othniel's hand prevailed over the king. You see that? No, talk to me. Do you see that? Listen, the Lord did it all. And yet the Lord in writing his word is okay to say, hey, Othniel prevailed. Did you see what's going on here? I love this. You don't seem as excited as I do. I love this. Listen, as the Lord uses us, it's the Lord that uses us. It's not because of who we are. It's the Lord's gifting. It's the Lord's working. It's the spirit upon, spirit working through. And yet in it all, God does it all. And yet God's okay to say, Othniel's hand prevailed. Listen, the Lord is good with, if I understand what I'm saying, the Lord is good with sharing His joy and His glory and His victories with His people. I love that. The Lord loves working in and through His people. And by the way, in the text, the Lord not only gave Um, to him the, the victory, but they gave the land a rest for 40 years. By the way, isn't it interesting that it says the land rested? It doesn't say the people rested. Why? Because people in a war can't rest. If God's people rested for 40 years, What kind of war are they living? The land had rest. There's so many things I could say about all that. I'm just going to leave it there because that's all the text says. So third thing, the Lord took Othniel. Verse 11, then Othniel died. (laughs) End of story. On earth. I love this. The Lord was upon him. The Lord was upon him. The Lord was upon her. The Lord did victory work in and through him, through her. And then he, she died. Next, with the Lord. Seriously. In a day and age we're in the news right now, we are hearing so much about building legacies. Hey, live the war and die. <laughs> see Jesus, see the war and see the victory. Raised up, fought the war and died. End of story. Wow. So many things we could say. So many things we could take into a week. I trust some of the things we've talked about are doing that. I'll, just a few. Beware of being deceived. Beware of being sold out to this world. Beware of forgetting the Lord. Beware of serving the gods of this world. That'll be a theme through the book. Repentance is more than crud I got caught. Repentance is more than sadness over circumstances. Another is by our very nature, by our very life actions we all fall short. Another would be is the Lord's mercy and grace and long suffering is amazing, available and real. By the way, I forgot to mention something about Othniel. Othniel, the deliverer, died. A little prelude to Easter. Um, He was the deliverer for a period of time and he died. Um, He was not the permanent deliverer. He was not the permanent deliverer. But through the book of Judges, we are going to see that We are in need of a permanent Savior. We are in need of a permanent Deliverer. And as you watch your politics, may I remind you we are in need of a permanent Deliverer. We are in need of a full God Savior. prelude to next Sunday. Next Sunday is Easter. Um, the scene on the screen, I think, kind of depicts the war reality of not only what's going on in the book of Judges, uh, but um, what's going on with the whole situation with eternity and day to day. As far as eternity, a looking ahead, the reality is, is that um, we all are faced with the condition of our sin and um, in this war spiritual war that we live in there's a war to try and punk you there's a punk game that's going on in your soul for eternity that you can earn it that you can wish it that all dogs go to heaven And it's kind of say, uh, saying, uh, avoid and, and don't worry about the impending tornado ahead. All's good, party it up. Dr. Bon John it's my life, live it now. It's a good song, but bad words, bad theology. Uh, I just want to say this in preparation for next Sunday. Easter unpacks that punk. Easter unpacks the punk game. And it reveals the party for your soul. Friends, there is a party for the person that has come to know Christ as their Savior. The one who died on the cross and rose, to, rose from the dead. And is sitting at the right hand of the Father. The one that we studied through the book of Revelation. That one. I want to tell you, friend, if you're in Christ, next Sunday, we have every reason and we are going to have an over-the-top celebration. And if you're not sure where you're at, oh, come, because we are going to unveil the punk. There's an eternity scene on the screen. There's also a day-to-day scene on the screen. Uh, Those in Christ, you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) I mean, we could like go to this morning or yesterday and the punk that's going on within our own heart about that life is all about me. That it's okay to do that. And by the way, Easter unpacks that punk as well. Judges 2.10, let's finish with looking at it. And there arose... Another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. Chapter 3, verse 7 they forgot the Lord. I want to finish today with this. Next Sunday, no one leaves this place not knowing what the Lord has done. Next Sunday, no one leaves this place without having been reminded and knowing what the Lord has done. Next Sunday, will be uh, no forgetting allowed. We are going to be reminded, not forget. We are going to know the work of the Lord and what the Lord has done for eternity and for day to day. And we're all going to come together, right? Lord, thank you. Thank you for who you are, for what you've done in this series. We're just getting started. And here we meet a people who are in a bad place. They forgot their God. And they served the gods of the world. Lord, there's something about, I trust, that when we read that, when we hear about that, that just draws a sensitivity in our own souls. For we know what that's like to do it. And yet, Lord, in your patience, and your kindness... And with a tornado before our faces. You have come. And you have been the permanent deliverer. Offering offering permanent saving. And I even just pray this week Lord that we would remember for those who are in Christ this week. We have a permanent savior in the war that we live in. Oh Lord, we need you. Oh, we need you. We are feeble, we are frail, and yet you are full, and you are permanent, and you are all that we need. May we cling, cling, cling tightly to knowing you and serving you alone. In the precious name of Jesus we pray.